Chapter 7 of Langstroth on the Hive and the Honey Bee. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adam Marcetich, August 2009, Alexandria, Virginia. Langstroth on the Hive and the Honey Bee by L. L. Langstroth. Chapter 7 on the advantages which ought to be found in an improved hive. In this chapter, I shall enumerate certain very desirable, if not necessary, qualities of a good hive. I have neither the taste nor the time for the invidious work of disparaging other hives. I prefer inviting the intention of beekeepers to the importance of these requisites, some of which, as I believe, are contained in no hive but my own. Let them be most carefully examined, and if they commend themselves to the enlightened judgment and good common sense of cultivators, let them be employed to test the comparative merits of the various kinds of hives in common use. 1. A good hive should give the apiarian a perfect control over all the combs, so that any of them may be taken out at pleasure, and this, without cutting them or enraging the bees. This advantage is possessed by no hive in use except my own, and it forms the very foundation of an improved and profitable system of bee culture. Unless the combs are at the entire command of the apiarian, he can have no effectual control over his bees. They swarm too much or too little, just as it suits themselves, and their owner is almost entirely dependent upon their caprice. 2. It ought to afford suitable protection against extremes of heat and cold, sudden changes of temperature, and the injurious effects of dampness. In winter, the interior of the hive should be dry, and not a particle of frost should ever find admission, and in summer, the bees should not be forced to work to disadvantage in a pent and almost suffocating heat. See these points discussed in the chapter on protection. 3. It should permit all necessary operations to be performed without hurting or killing a single bee. Most hives are so constructed that it is impossible to manage them, without at times injuring or destroying some of the bees. The mere destruction of a few bees would not, except on the score of humanity, be of much consequence, if it did not very materially increase the difficulty of managing them. Bees remember injuries done to any of their number for some time, and generally find an opportunity to avenge them. 4. It should allow everything to be done that is necessary in the most extensive management of bees, without incurring any serious risk of exciting their anger. See chapter on the anger of bees. 5. Not a single unnecessary step or motion ought to be required of a single bee. The honey harvest, in most locations, is of short continuance, and all the arrangements of the hive should facilitate, to the utmost, the work of the busy gatherers. Tall hives, therefore, are all such as compel them to travel with their heavy burdens through densely crowded combs, are very objectionable. The bees in my hive, 
instead of forcing their way through thick clusters, can easily pass into the surplus honey boxes, not only from any comb in the hive, but without traveling over the combs at all. 6. It should afford suitable facilities for inspecting, at all times, the condition of the bees. When the sides of my hive are of glass, as soon as the outer cover is elevated, the apiarian has a view of the interior, and can often at a glance determine its condition. If the hive is of wood, or if he wishes to make a more thorough examination, in a few minutes every comb may be taken out and separately inspected. In this way, the exact condition of every colony may always be easily ascertained, and nothing left, as in the common hives, to mere conjecture. This is an advantage, the importance of which it would be difficult to overestimate. See chapters on the loss of the queen and on the bee moth. 7. While the hive is of a size adapted to the natural instincts of the bee, it should be capable of being readily adjusted to the wants of small colonies. If a small swarm is put into a large hive, they will be able to concentrate their animal heat so as to work to the best advantage, and will often become discouraged and abandon their hive. If they are put into a small hive, its limited dimensions will not afford them suitable accommodations for increase. By means of my movable partition, my hive can, in a few moments, be adapted to the wants of any colony however small, and can, with equal facility, be enlarged from time to time, or at once restored to its full dimensions. 8. It should allow the combs to be removed without any jarring. Bees manifest the utmost aversion to any sudden jar, for it is in this way that their combs are loosened and detached. However firmly fastened the frames may be in my hive, they can all be loosened in a few moments, without injuring or exciting the bees. 9. It should allow every good piece of comb to be given to the bees, instead of being melted into wax. See chapter on comb. 10. The construction of the hive should induce the bees to build their combs with great regularity. A hive which contains a large proportion of irregular comb can never be expected to prosper. Such comb is only suitable for storing honey or raising drones. This is one reason why so many colonies never flourish. A glance will often show that a hive contains so much drone comb as to be unfit for the purposes of a stock hive. 11. It should furnish the means of procuring comb to be used as a guide to the bees, in building regular combs in empty hives, and to induce them more readily to take possession of the surplus honey receptacles. It is well known that the presence of comb will induce bees to begin work much more readily than they otherwise would. This is especially the case in glass vessels. 12. It should allow the removal of drone combs from the hive to permit the breeding of too many drones. See remarks on drones. 13. It should enable the apiarian, when the combs become too old, to remove them, and supply their place with new ones. 
No hive can, in this respect, equal one in which, in a few moments, any comb can be removed, and the part which is too old to be cut off. The upper part of a comb, which is generally used for storing honey, will last without renewal for many years. 14. It ought to furnish the greatest possible security against the ravages of the bee moth. Neither before nor after it is occupied ought there to be any cracks or crevices in the interior. All such places will be filled by the bees with propolis or bee glue, a substance which is always soft in the summer heat of the hive, and which forms a most congenial place of deposit for the eggs of the moth. If the sides of the hive are of glass, and the corners are run with a melted mixture, three parts rosin and one part beeswax, the bees will waste but little time in gathering propolis, and the bee moth will find but little chance for laying her eggs, even if she should succeed in entering the hive. My hives are so constructed that if made of wood, they may be thoroughly painted inside and outside, without being so smooth as to annoy the bees, for they travel over the frames to which the combs are attached, and thus whether the inside surface is glass or wood, it is not liable to crack or warp or absorb moisture after the hive is occupied by the bees. If the hives are painted inside, it should be done some time before they are used, if the interior of the wooden hive is brushed with a very hot mixture of the rosin and beeswax, the hives may be used immediately. 15. It should furnish some place accessible to the apiarian, where the bee moth can be tempted to deposit her eggs, and the worms, when fully grown, to wind themselves in their cocoons. See remarks on the bee moth. 16. It should enable the apiarian, if the bee moth ever gains the upper hand of the bees, to remove the combs and expel the worms. See bee moth. 17. The bottom board should be permanently attached to the hive, for if this is not done, it will be inconvenient to move the hive when the bees are in it, and next to impossible to prevent the depredations of moths and worms. Sooner or later, there will be crevices between the bottom board and the sides of the hive, through which the moths will gain admission, and under which the worms, when fully grown, will retreat to spin their webs, and to be changed into moths, to enter in their turn, and lay their eggs. Movable bottom boards are a great nuisance in the apiary, and the construction of my hive which enables me entirely to dispense with them, will furnish a great protection against the bee moth. There is no place where they can get in, except at the entrance for the bees, and this may be contracted or enlarged to suit the strength of the colony, and from its peculiar shape, the bees are enabled to defend it against intruders with the greatest advantage. The bottom board should slant towards the entrance, to assist the bees in carrying out the dead and other useless substances, to aid them in defending themselves against robbers, to carry off all moisture, and to prevent the rain and snow from beating into the hive. 
As a farther precaution against this last evil, the entrance ought to be under a covered way, which should not at once lead into the interior. 19. The bottom board should be so constructed that it may be readily cleared of dead bees in cold weather, when the bees are unable to attend to this business themselves. If suffered to remain, they often become moldy and injure the health of the colony. If the bees drag them out, as they will do if the weather moderates, they often fall with them on the snow and are so chilled that they never rise again, for a bee generally retains its hold in flying away with the dead until both fall to the ground. 20. No part of the interior of the hive should be below the level of the place of exit. If this principle is violated, the bees must, at great disadvantage, drag their dead and all the refuse of the hive uphill. Such hives will often have their bottom boards covered with small pieces of comb, bee bread, and other impurities, in which the moth delights to lay her eggs and which furnished her progeny with a most congenial nourishment, until they are able to get access to the combs. 21. It should afford facilities for feeding the bees both in warm and cold weather. In this respect, my hive has a very unusual advantage. Sixty colonies in warm weather may, in an hour, be fed a quart each, and yet no feeder be used, and no risk incurred from robbing bees. See chapter on feeding. 22. It should allow of the easy hiving of a swarm, without injuring any of the bees, or risking the destruction of the queen. See chapter on natural swarming and hiving. 22. It should admit of the safe transportation of the bees to any distance whatever. The permanent bottom board, the firm attachment of the combs, each to a separate frame, and the facility with which, in my hive, any amount of air can be given to the bees when shut up, most admirably adapted to this purpose. 24. It should furnish the bees with air when the entrance is shut, and the ventilation for this purpose ought to be unobstructed, even if the hives should be buried in two or three feet of snow. See chapter on protection. 25. A good hive should furnish facilities for enlarging, contracting, and closing the entrance, so as to protect the bees against robbers and the bee moth, and when the entrance is altered, the bees ought not to lose valuable time in searching for it, as they must do in most hives. See chapters on ventilation and on robbing. 26. It should give the bees the means of ventilating their hives, without enlarging the entrance too much, so as to expose them to moths and robbers, and to the risk of losing their brood by a chill in sudden changes of weather. See chapter on ventilation. To secure this end, the ventilators must not only be independent of the entrance, but they must owe their efficiency mainly to the cooperation of the bees themselves, who thus have a free admission of air only when they want it. To depend on the opening and shutting of the ventilators by the beekeeper is entirely out of the question.
27. It should furnish facilities for admitting, at once, a large body of air, so that in winter, or early spring, when the weather is at any time unusually mild, the bees may be tempted to fly out and discharge their feces. See chapter on protection. If such a free admission of air cannot be given to hives which are thoroughly protected against the cold, the bees may lose a favorable opportunity of emptying themselves, and thus be more exposed than they otherwise would, to suffer from diseases resulting from too long confinement. A very free admission of air is also desirable when the weather is exceedingly hot. 28. It should enable the apiarian to remove the excesses of bee bread from old stocks. This article always accumulates in old hives, so that in the course of time, many of the combs are filled with it, thus unfitting them for the rearing of brood and the reception of honey. Young stocks, on the other hand, will often be so deficient in this important article, that in the early part of the season, breeding will be seriously interfered with. By means of my movable frames, the excess of old colonies may be made to supply the deficiency of young ones, to the mutual benefit of both. See chapter on pollen. 29. It should enable the apiarian, when he has removed the combs from a common hive, to place them with the bees, brood, honey, and bee bread, in the improved hive, so that the bees may be able to attach them in their natural positions. See directions for transferring bees from an old hive. 30. It should allow of the easy and safe dislodgement of bees from the hive. This requisite is especially important to secure the union of colonies, when it becomes necessary to break up some of the stocks. See remarks on the union of stocks. 31. It should allow the heat and odor of the main hive, as well as of the bees themselves, to pass in the freest manner to the surplus honey receptacles. In this respect, all the hives with which I am acquainted are more or less deficient. The bees are forced to work in receptacles difficult of access, and in which, especially in cool nights, they find it impossible to keep up the animal heat necessary for comb-building. Bees cannot, in such hives, work to advantage in glass tumblers, or other small vessels. One of the most important arrangements of my hive is that by which the heat ascends into all the receptacles for storing honey, as naturally and almost as easily as the warmest air ascends to the top of a heated room. 32. It should permit the surplus honey to be taken away, in the most convenient, beautiful, and saleable forms, at any time, and without any risk of annoyance from the bees. In my hives, it may be taken in tumblers, glass boxes, wooden boxes, small or large, earthen jars, flower pots, in short, in any kind of receptacle which may suit the fancy or the convenience of the beekeeper, or all these may be dispensed with, and the honey may be taken from the interior of the main hive by removing the frames with loaded combs and supplying their place with empty ones. 
33. It should admit of the easy removal of all the good honey from the main hive, that its place may be supplied with an inferior article. Beekeepers who have but few colonies, and who wish to secure the largest yield, may remove the loaded combs from my hive, slice off the covers of the cells, drain out the honey, and restore the empty combs, into which, if the season of gathering is over, they can first pour the cheap foreign honey for the use of the bees. 34. It should allow, when quantity, not quality, is the object, the largest amount of honey to be gathered, so that the surplus of strong colonies may, in the fall, be given to those which have not a sufficient supply. By surmounting my hive with a box of the same dimensions, the combs may all be transferred to this box, and the bees, when they commence building, will descend and fill the lower frames, usually using the upper box, as the brood is hatched out, for storing honey. In this way, the largest possible yield of honey may be secured, as the bees always prefer to continue their work below, rather than above the main hive, and will never swarm, when allowed in season, ample room in this direction. The combs in the upper box, containing a large amount of bee bread, and being of a size adapted to the breeding of workers, will be all the better for aiding weak colonies. 35. It should compel, when desired, the force of the colony to be mainly directed to raising young bees, so that brood may be on hand to form new colonies and strengthen feeble stocks. See chapter on artificial swarming. 36. It ought, while well protected from the weather, to be so constructed that in warm, sunny days in early spring, the influence of the sun may be allowed to penetrate and warm up the hive, so as to encourage early breeding. See chapter on protection. 37. The hive should be equally well adapted to be used as a swarmer or non-swarmer. In my hives, bees may be allowed, if their owner chooses, to swarm just as they do in common hives, and be managed in the usual way. Even on this plan, the great protection against the weather which it affords, and the command over all the combs, will be found to afford great advantages. See Natural Swarming. Non-swarming hives managed in the ordinary way are liable, in spite of all precautions, to swarm very unexpectedly, and if not closely watched, the swarm is lost, and with it the profit of that season. By having the command of the combs, the queen in my hives can always be caught and deprived of her wings. Thus she cannot go off with a swarm, and they will not leave without her. 38. It should enable the apiarian, if he allows his bees to swarm, and wishes to secure surplus honey, to prevent them from throwing more than one swarm in a season. Second and third swarms must be returned to the old stock, if the largest quantities of surplus honey are to be realized. It is troublesome to watch them, deprive them of their queens, and restore them to the parent hive.
they often issue with new queens again and again, and waste, in this way, both their own time and that of the keeper. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, in my hives, as soon as the first swarm has issued, and been hived, all the queen cells except one, in the hive from which it came, may be cut out, and thus all after swarming will very easily and effectually be prevented. See chapter on artificial swarming, for the use to which these supernumerary queens may be put. When the old stock is left with but one queen, she runs no risk of being killed or crippled in a contest with rivals. By such contests, a colony is often left without a queen, or in possession of one which is too much maimed to be of any service. See chapter on the loss of the queen. 39. A good hive should enable the apiarian, if he relies on natural swarming, and wishes to multiply his colonies as fast as possible, to make vigorous stocks of all his small after-swarms. Such swarms contain a young queen, and, if they can be judiciously strengthened, usually make the best stock hives. If hived in a common hive, and left to themselves, unless very early, or in very favorable seasons, they seldom thrive. They generally desert their hives, or perish in the winter. If they are small, they cannot be made powerful, even by the most generous feeding. There are too few bees to build comb, and take care of the eggs which a healthy queen can lay, and when fed, they are apt to fill with honey, the cells in which young bees ought to be raised, thus making the kindness of their owners serve only to hasten their destruction. My hives enable me to supply all such swarms at once with combs containing bee bread, honey, and brood almost mature. They are thus made strong, and flourish as well, nay, often better than the first swarms which have an old queen, whose fertility is generally not so great as that of a young one. 40. It should enable the apiarian to multiply his colonies with a certainty and rapidity which are entirely out of the question if he depends upon natural swarming. See chapter on artificial swarming. 41. It should enable the apiarian to supply destitute colonies with the means of obtaining a new queen. Every apiarian would find it, for this reason, if for no other, to his advantage to possess, at least, one such hive. See chapters on physiology and loss of queen. 42. It should enable him to catch the queen for any purpose, especially to remove an old one whose fertility is impaired by age, that her place may be supplied with a young one. See chapter on artificial swarming. 43. While a good hive is adapted to the wants of those who desire to enter upon beekeeping on a large scale, or at least to manage their colonies on the most improved plans, it ought to be suited to the wants of those who are too timid, too ignorant, or for any reason indisposed, to manage them in any other than the common way. 44. 
it should enable a single individual to superintend the colonies of many different persons. Many would like to keep bees, if they could have them taken care of, by those who would undertake their management, just as a gardener does the gardens and grounds of his employers. No person can agree to do this with the common hives. If the bees are allowed to swarm, he may be called in a dozen different directions, and if any accident, such as the loss of a queen, happens to the colonies of his customers, he can apply no remedy. If the bees are in non-swarming hives, he cannot multiply the stocks when this is desired. On my plan, gentlemen who desire it may have the pleasure of witnessing the industry and sagacity of this wonderful insect, and of gratifying their palates with its delicious stores, harvested on their own premises, without incurring either trouble or risk of injury. 45. All the joints of the hive should be water-tight, and there should be no doors or slides which are liable to shrink, swell, or get out of order. The importance of this will be sufficiently obvious to anyone who has had the ordinary share of vexatious experience in the use of such fixtures. 46. It should enable the beekeeper entirely to dispense with sheds and costly apiaries, as each hive when properly placed should alike defy heat or cold, rain or snow. See chapter on protection. 47. It should allow the contents of a hive, bees, combs and all, to be taken out, so that any necessary repairs may be made. This may be done with my hives in a few minutes. A stitch in time saves nine. Hives which can be thoroughly overhauled and repaired from time to time, if properly attended to, will last for generations. 48. The hive and fixtures should present a neat and attractive appearance, and should admit, when desired, of being made highly ornamental. 49. The hives ought not to be liable to be blown down in high winds, my hives being very low in proportion to their other dimensions. It would require almost a hurricane to upset them. 50. It should enable an apiarian who lives in the neighborhood of human filferers to lock up the precious contents of his hives in some cheap, simple, and efficient way. A couple of padlocks with some cheap fixtures will suffice to secure a long range of hives. 51. A good hive should be protected against the destructive ravages of mice in winter. It seems almost incredible that so puny an animal should dare to invade a hive of bees, and yet not infrequently they slip in when the bees are compelled by the cold to retreat from the entrance. Having once found admission, they build themselves a nest in their comfortable abode, eat up the honey, and such bees as are too much chilled to make any resistance, and fill the premises with such an abominable stench, that on the approach of warm weather, the bees often in a body abandon their desecrated home. As soon as the cold weather approaches, 
all my hives may have their entrances either entirely closed, or so contracted that a mouse cannot gain admission. 52. A good hive should have its alighting board, constructed so as to shelter the bees against wind and wet, and thus to facilitate to the utmost their entrance when they come home with their heavy burdens. If this precaution is neglected, much valuable time and many lives will be sacrificed, as the colony cannot be encouraged to use to the best advantage the unpromising days which so often occur in the working season. I have succeeded in arranging my alighting board in such a manner that the bees are sheltered against wind and wet, and are able to enter the hive with the least possible loss of time. 53. A well-constructed hive ought to admit of being shut up in winter, so as to consign the bees to darkness and repose. Nothing can be more hazardous than to shut up closely an ill-protected hive. Even if the bees have an abundance of air, it will not answer to prevent them from flying out, if they are so disposed. As soon as the warmth penetrating their thin hives tempts them to fly, they crowd to the entrance, and if it is shut, multitudes worry themselves to death in trying to get out, and the whole colony is liable to become diseased. In my hives, as soon as the bees are shut up for winter, they are most effectually protected against all atmospheric changes, and never desire to leave their hives until the entrances are again open, on the return of suitable weather. Thus they pass the winter in a state of almost absolute repose, they eat much less honey than when wintered on the ordinary plan, a much smaller number die in the hives, none are lost upon the snow, and they are more healthy, and commence breeding much earlier than they do in common hives. As some of the holes into the protector are left open in winter, any bee that is diseased and wishes to leave the hive can do so. Bees, when diseased, have a strange propensity to leave their hives, just as animals, when sick, seek to retreat from their companions, and in summer such bees may often be seen forsaking their home to perish on the ground. If all egress from the hive in winter is prevented, the diseased bees will not be able to comply with an instinct which urges them to leave their country for their country's good. 54. It should possess all these requisites without being too costly for common beekeepers, or too complicated to be constructed by anyone who can handle simple tools, and they should also be so combined that the result is a simple hive, which anyone can manage who has ordinary intelligence on the subject of bees. I suppose that the very natural conclusion from reading this long list of desirables would be that no single hive can combine them all, without being exceedingly complicated and expensive. On the contrary, the simplicity and cheapness with which my hive secures all these results is one of its most striking peculiarities, the attainment of which has cost me more study than all the other points besides. As far as the bees are concerned, 
they can work in this hive with even greater facility than in the simple old-fashioned box, as the frames are left rough by the saw, and thus give an admirable support to the bees when building their combs, and they can enter the spare honey boxes with even more ease than if they were merely continuations of the main hive. These are a few desirables to which my hive makes not the slightest pretensions. It promises no splendid results to those who purchase it, and yet are too ignorant or too careless to be entrusted with the management of bees. In beekeeping, as in other things, a man must first understand his business, and then proceed to the good old maxim that the hand of the diligent maketh rich. It possesses no talismanic influence by which it can convert a bad situation for honey into a good one, or give the apiarian an abundant harvest whether the season is productive or otherwise. It cannot enable the cultivator rapidly to multiply his stocks, and yet to secure, in the same season, surplus honey from his bees. As well might the breeder of poultry pretend that he can, in the same year, both raise the greatest number of chickens, and sell the largest number of eggs. Worse than all, it cannot furnish the many advantages enumerated, and yet be made in as little time, or quite as cheap as a hive which proves, in the end, to be a very dear bargain. I have not constructed my hive in accordance with crude theories or mere conjectures, and then insisted that the bees must flourish in such a fanciful contrivance. But I have studied, for many years, most carefully, the nature of the honey-bee, and have diligently compared my observations with those of writers and practical cultivators, who have spent their lives in extending the sphere of apiarian knowledge, and, as the result, have endeavored to adapt my hive to the actual wants and habits of the bee, and to remedy the many difficulties with which I have found its successful culture to be beset. And more than this, I have actually tested by experiments, long continued and on a large scale, the merits of this hive, that I might not deceive both myself and others, and add another to the many useless contrivances which have deluded and disgusted a credulous public. I would, however, most earnestly repudiate all claims to having devised a perfect beehive. Perfection can belong only to the works of the great Creator, to whose omniscient eye all causes and effects, with all their relations, were present. When he spake, and from nothing, formed the universe and all its glorious wonders. For man to stamp upon any of his own works, the label of perfection, is to show both his folly and presumption. It must be confessed that the culture of bees is at a very low ebb in our country, when thousands can be induced to purchase hives which are in most glaring opposition not only to the true principles of apiarian knowledge, but often to the plainest dictates of simple common sense. Such have been the losses and disappointments of deluded purchasers, 
that it is no wonder that they turn from everything offered in the shape of a patent beehive as a miserable humbug if not a most barefaced cheat i do not hesitate to say that those old-fashioned beekeepers who have most steadily refused to meddle with any novelties and who have used hives of the very simplest construction or at least such as are only one removed from the old straw hive or wooden box have as a general thing realized by far the largest profits in the management of bees they have lost neither time money nor bees in the vain hope of obtaining any unusual results from hives which in the very nature of the case can secure nothing really in advance of what can be accomplished by a simple box hive with an upper chamber a hive of the simplest possible construction is only a close imitation of the abode of bees in a state of nature being a mere hollow receptacle in which they are protected from the weather and where they can lay up their stores an improved hive is one which contains in addition a separate apartment in which the bees can be induced to lay up the surplus portion of their stores for the use of their owner all the various hives in common use are only modifications of this latter hive and as a general rule they are bad exactly in proportion as they depart from it not one of them offers any remedy for the loss of the queen or indeed for most of the casualties to which bees are exposed they form no reliable basis for any new system of management and hence the cultivation of bees is substantially where it was fifty years ago and the apiarian is entirely dependent as ever upon all the whims and caprices of an insect which may be completely subject to his control no hive which does not furnish a thorough control over every comb can be considered as any substantial advance on the simple improved or chamber hive of all such hives the one which with the least expense gives the greatest amount of protection and the readiest access to the spare honey boxes is the best having thus enumerated the tests to which all hives ought to be subjected and by which they should stand or fall i submit them to the candid examination of practical common-sense beekeepers who have had the largest experience in the management of bees and are most conversant with the evils of the present system and who are therefore best fitted to apply them to an invention which if i may be pardoned for using the enthusiastic language of an experienced apiarian on examining its practical workings introduces not simply an improvement but a revolution in beekeeping chapter seven